everyone. This is the Show Warning Center podcast. My name is Dr. Benner. I'm here with Scott Bauman. We're going to be talking tonight about the degree of knee extension and postoperative stability after ACL reconstruction. Thank you for joining us on this episode. You can find all of our episodes wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on social media on Twitter and Instagram at the SKC Podcast. You can go to our YouTube or Facebook page, or you can even email us if you'd like to contact us that way at the SKC Podcast at gmail.com. This is going to be a great topic this week. This is one of those, like we've talked about in the past, where it's pretty applicable to both orthopedic surgeons and physical therapists treating these patients. Talking about knee extension and how it relates to post-op stability and retears after ACL surgery. And I know with treating these patients, that's one thing that is almost looked down upon when patients have you know, 5, 10, 15 degrees even of hyperextension. They feel like that's unsafe for some reason. And you always talk about or read about these articles that have increased or hyperlaxity and how it leads to injuries. And then when you're talking about the the post-op phase of ACL reconstructions and hyperlaxity or hyper extreme hyperextension may be maybe potentially dangerous. And, and that's exactly what we're looking at tonight on if that's more dangerous or not. So uh, we want to jump in with this study. The study is titled, The Degree of Knee Extension Does Not Affect Postoperative Stability or Subsequent Graft Tear Rate After Anterior Cruciate Ligament Reconstruction with Patella Tendon Autograft with authors Dr. Benner, Dr. Shelbourne, and Tinker Gray. This article was published in the American Journal of Sports Medicine in 2016. And Dr. Benner, with you being the lead author, we thought it'd be a great opportunity to discuss this paper with you tonight. And kicking this off with the first question here, what was the rationale to conduct this study to look at these variables? Well, as a lot of our studies are, this this study really came about going to a meeting and uh, sitting in an instructional course lecture, and I was listening to one of the faculty members talking about uh, ACL reconstruction, talking about surgical technique in particular, and somebody asked him, what do you do if you have somebody that has a what they would consider a more extreme degree of hyperextension? What, what do you do? Do you push that patient all the way into hyperextension, or do you brace them, or how do you handle that? And I can't remember the uh, I can't remember the faculty member's name, but he actually name checked Dr. Shelbourne in the meeting, and he said, "Well, I know Dr. Shelbourne would tell me that this is wrong, but he's like, for those people who have a more extreme degree of hyperextension, I'm I'm okay if they just go all the way straight. I don't really try to push them too much into hyperextension." And of course, I'm sitting there in the crowd, you know, as a surgeon at Shelbourne Knee Center, thinking, "Well, that that's not cool. I didn't like <laughs> didn't like the sound of that." And so I. I came back after that meeting and thought, you know, that the, there seems to be this idea out there, which I kind of knew was already there anyway, but uh, it was a lot different when when you hear our clinic get brought up in that way at an instructional course lecture, thinking that uh, an extreme degree of hyperextension could be potentially detrimental to graft stability, and I didn't think that was probably the case. So I got together with Dr. Shelbourne and Tinker Gray, who was in our research department at the time, and asked, you know, there's got to be a way for us to be able to look at this and show that people with a more extreme degree of hyperextension aren't necessarily at risk for graft failure and that there are some potential downsides to not getting all that extension back. So in preparation for running this study, and and I'm sure after that meeting, you you maybe dug into the literature a little bit. What is out there on the literature on this topic in terms of postoperative after ACL reconstruction? Well, the worry is that there's going to be some undue forces on the graft if you push it into such a more what they would consider a more extreme degree of hyperextension. And there were some studies that we cited in the paper in the introduction section where they talked about higher impingement forces on the ACL graft as you got further and further past zero and into hyperextension. There was even one that looked at MRI scans of uh, ACL grafts and people who had higher degrees of hyperextension that showed some some bowing of the graft kind of wrapping around the front of the the, the intercondylar notch. Uh, and there was there's concern that that could lead to 
to an increased risk of graft failure. Uh, you know, in our perspective, as as most of our listeners know, uh, Dr. Shelbourne's been talking about the importance of knee hyperextension and symmetric range of motion for the last three or four decades about how that impacts the eventual outcome from ACL surgery. And it's important to keep some some notes in mind. One, uh, we cite one study by Mark DiCarlo, who uh, used to work with Dr. Shelbourne uh, back in their days at Methodist Sports Medicine, uh, where they talked about that most people, 96% of males and 98% of females have some degree of hyperextension. So it's very important as you think about this topic to really understand and recognize that hyperextension is normal and the zero degrees of extension is not normal. The vast majority, almost everybody has some degree of hyperextension and the average degrees of hyperextension was actually quite a bit. In that study, the mean for males was five degrees of hyperextension and for females was six degrees of hyperextension. And if you looked specifically at people who had an even higher degree of hyperextension in that study, they said 28% of healthy males and 48% of healthy females exhibit more than seven degrees of hyperextension. And that would be the type of group that we would worry about whether or not there's going to be more impingement forces on the graph potentially leading to failure. That's an interesting topic. And I know when I was seeing patients, people always want to know, well, what's normal? And I think the benefit of treating knees is there's two of them. You know, we're not treating backs or necks or where there's only one of them. So it is hard to get what a normal value for something like range of motion is. But when you're talking about treating a knee, they always ask what the normal is. And, you know, they have a non-involved side that you can compare it to. And, and I'm, I'm assuming that's kind of what your thought was. And let's get them to their normal, whether it be 10 degrees, 15 degrees or what, and, and see what the result's going to be. So I think this was an interesting design. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Dr. Shelbourne showed in multiple different papers the importance of getting full symmetric extension, and it used IKDC criteria, which is very tight as it relates to extension postoperatively. Anything that's outside zero degrees or exactly the same as the opposite side uh, with a side-to-side -side comparison uh, to two degrees of extension loss is, is, all, is all that is considered normal. So anything even from three to five degrees of extension loss is only considered nearly normal, and even that group, which is a relatively small amount of extension loss, has worse results and a higher degree of arthritis in the long term. So that's another important thing to keep in mind as background to this study. Not only do most people have some degree of hyperextension and that they often have a, a, a pretty significant percentage of people that have a higher degree of hyperextension, uh, but also that any degree of extension loss, even just a couple degrees, can have a significant outcome, can have a significant impact on the outcome in the short and the long term. So now that we know the rationale to conduct the study, what was your working hypothesis before you completed the study? You know, after I got back from that instructional course lecture, I thought, well, clearly other people think that this is a risk for graph failure, but I don't. I don't. And I when after talking to Dr. Shelbourne, he didn't either. So our hypothesis with this study was um, was that if people have a higher degree of hyperextension, that it does not lead to a statistically significant difference in the ultimate graft tear rates and stability that we would measure uh, postoperatively. So that's kind of how we went into it, um, trying to see whether that was right or to see whether we were wrong. Maybe the other people were right that there is a statistically significant increase in ACL graft tears and worse stability for these people with higher degrees of hyperextension. So what were the methods for conducting this study? Well, we had to figure out where to set the bars around this uh, because, you know, what dictates what is a high degree of hyperextension and what isn't and how do we uh, how do we get to that to those numbers. So in order to do that, we took the 
extension numbers, the pre-op extension numbers for the entire group of ACL reconstructions that we had to try to figure out where was the, where was the line, where was the mean and uh, not just where was it, where was the mean, but also could we put some, you know, we kind of wanted to isolate the center of the bell curve and eliminate the center of the bell curve. So people that were on the lower end of the curve and people on the higher end of the curve. Uh, so we looked at people who had greater than six degrees of hyperextension or less than three degrees of hyperextension, uh, because when we looked at the entire group, uh, four to five degrees of hyperextension was pretty normal. So we wanted to eliminate those large peaks in the middle of the bell curve and go six and above of hyperextension and three and below of hyperextension to really get some separation between those two groups. And we looked at a very large group from 1998 to 2009. We had a total of 2,329 patients that had ACL construct ACL reconstructions done by Dr. Shelbourne and participated in our long-term outcome study. And uh, in order to, after we separated those into groups, we wanted to see whether there was difference in, or whether there was a difference in KT2000 stability testing side to side, whether one group was looser than the other. And then we also wanted to look Look at uh, graft retear rates between the groups to see uh, if a higher degree of hyperextension led to a higher degree of graft failure within five years after surgery. So no one knows those were the methods that you were looking at, and those were the variables or the outcomes you were trying to assess based on these two groups. What were the results that you found with those? We were able to split those up into the groups. So in group A, which had hyperextension greater than or equal to six degrees after surgery, we had 318 patients. And in group B, that had hyperextension less than three, less than or equal to three, we had 307 patients. So 300 plus patients in each group. Uh, we had 1,060 that were not meeting the extension criteria because they were in the middle portion of the bell curve. We lost about 30 or 40 to follow up in both groups. So we ended up with patients with complete data, 278 in the high hyperextension group and 275 in the uh, less than three hyperextension group. And we compared those statistically. The mean in the high hyperextension group was eight degrees of hyperextension and the mean in the low group was zero degrees of hyperextension. When we looked at the stability testing, we used KT2000 arthrometer mean manual maximum difference between the knees, and we found that in the group with higher degree of hyperextension, there was a two millimeter side-to-side -side difference, and in the other group, there was a also a two millimeter side-to-side -side difference, so those were not statistically significantly different. Within five years of surgery, we looked at subsequent ACL graft tear tear or failure rates, and those occurred in 6.9% in the high hyperextension group and 9.8% in the low hyperextension group. So the less than or equal to three hyperextension group actually had a few more, a little bit higher percentage of retairs than the high hyperextension group did, but it was not statistically significant. We then wanted to look at a little bit of a sub-analysis of the group A, that group that had a higher degree of hyperextension, and look at people that were far on the end of the curve and had greater than 10 degrees of hyperextension. And even when we pushed it out to a, a very high degree of hyperextension, those patients did not have an increased risk of graft tear or failure. We then utilized an activity rating score, which was not statistically significantly different between the two groups. We also looked at the giving way questions and the stability questions in the IKDC survey and the Cincinnati knee rating survey and found similarly that there was no statistically significant difference between the two groups with report to subjective stability reported by the patients. 
So I guess my main question here for you has to do with the primary outcome, looking at the difference between the two groups based on their post-operative KT test with group A, the high hyperextension group being a manual maximum difference of two millimeters versus the group B, which is the low hyperextension group being a difference of 2.1 millimeters side to side. What is the rationale or what's your thoughts on why there failed to be a difference when it seems like the the previous literature or a theoretical thought that there would be a difference between those two. And this study did not show a difference between the two when it comes to post-operative stability. I think it's reproducible surgical technique. We try to put the tibial tunnel posterior enough that the graft stays posterior to the roof of the intercondylar notch. So if you look at that lateral x-ray post-surgery, we take an x-ray on, on the lateral with the, with the knee in full hyperextension with the patient's quad contracted to really see where is that graft located when they're in maximal hyperextension. And we always want to see that tibial tunnel be parallel but posterior to Blumensatz line. And that tells us if the tunnel is there, then the graft is not really impinged upon in full hyperextension. And that's really the same whether regardless of how much hyperextension the patient has so that we believe that if you do re, a reproducible surgical technique with those goals in mind that you won't end up with impingement and full extension even if the patient has a higher degree of hyperextension and obviously you're you're thinking that's the case for even those extreme cases. I know the secondary analysis, you looked at patients greater than or equal to 10 degrees of hyperextension. And I guess one question is, what's the most hyperextension you've seen? And, and were you still pretty confident in, in the fact that they're going to have the same post-operative stability? You know, I worried like everybody else does just because I've heard that at meetings so many times that if somebody comes with 12 degrees of hyperextension, I'm left to think, you know what, I hope this works out okay and that it doesn't stretch out over time. But that's where following our own results and having our own research department and looking at our at our own data is able to guide our decision making. I, I was able to do this study and know that even though I may be worried about that because I've heard other people say it before, we've done this surgical technique over and over thousands of times, and we can look at that data and and, and be sure in our own minds uh, that the data backs us up, that there's no need to make any adjustments, and that, that theoretical risk of the graph stretching out over time and failure at a higher rate just doesn't happen. And from a PT perspective, this has been discussed in some meetings and some other discussions that we've had from a rehab standpoint, and that if somebody has, let's say, 15 degrees of hyperextension on the ACL reconstructed side, the thought is, well, just get them to zero, maybe a couple degrees, maybe upwards of five, because they don't really need it or they don't need it initially. So my question for you, based on the results of this study, is how does this affect your decision making when it comes to you uh, dictating their postoperative rehab? Well, the higher degree of hyperextension that the patient has, the less likely I am to want to leave them at zero degrees of extension. If somebody has one degree of hyperextension and they get to zero, they get flat. Okay, they've lost one degree of extension. I don't think we've ever shown that one degree of extension makes a difference in the patient's ultimate outcome. If somebody has 12 degrees of hyperextension on the uninvolved knee and you brace them and keep them at zero, that's a 12 degree flexion contracture that you've given them compared to the opposite side. By case by IKDC criteria, that's a severely abnormal amount of extension. And we know that that severely abnormal group has higher and higher, exponentially higher rates of arthritis and poorer ACL reconstruction results. So 
moving the needle that far, moving your goal that far to be all the way at zero for the patients that need that hyperextension the most, in my opinion, is is putting a restriction only in place in the people that are most likely to be potentially harmed by it. So that that that's one that I would avoid at all costs. Uh, you know, I understand if you don't, even if you don't want to put people at 12 degrees of hyperextension, uh, restrict them at six, restrict them at eight, let them get close at least. Putting people at zero when they have 12 degrees on the normal side is a severe hyperextension, is a severe extension contracture, and, and that's a bad thing. When looking at the secondary outcomes, things like retail rates and subjective scores at different time intervals, I know you said with the, the the lack of a difference between the manual max KT test between the two groups was uh, had a lot to do with the reproducible surgical technique. The other secondary outcomes of things, again, like retail rates and subjective outcomes being statistically similar as well, would you give a similar rationale for that, or is that more of their structurally the same so they're going to really function the same long term or what what are your thoughts on that I mean, I'd really say both. Yeah, that if we do the same, if we do the same anatomic landmarks for our surgical technique in those patients with higher degrees of hyperextension, and we put the graft in a place where it's not going to impinge, we don't really have a reason for it to stretch out. So they should function the same when it comes to their subjective feelings of giving way or their subjective feeling of stability. It should be the same because there's nothing that is stretching the graft out to make it loose to the point where it should feel different. So. Um, I mean, it's, I think it's just as simple as that. I think that reproducible surgical technique that avoids anterior tibial tunnel placement and graft, graft impingement and extension achieves the same amount of stability regardless of how much hyperextension the patient has. Now, obviously, the surgical technique is more up your alley, but I'm curious on this. If you have a patient that's that has 15, 20 degrees even of hyperextension, you said it's reproducible. So you are changing absolutely nothing about that surgery. You harvest the graft the same way. You drill the tunnels the same way. You're putting the graft in in the same way for a patient that has 20 degrees of hyperextension versus a patient that has two degrees. I don't know that I've ever seen anybody with 20 degrees of hyperextension, but in in, in general, I would say, yeah. I mean, I, I, when I'm drilling the tunnels and when I'm putting my ACL reconstruction where I want to put it uh, with anatomic reference points, I don't give a second thought to how much hyperextension they have. Zero second thoughts uh, doesn't even enter my mind in the operating room. One of my last questions for this particular study has to do with the fact that all of the patients in this study were patellar grafts. And my question for you do you think that the results would be the same or different if this study was con conducted in the same way, but instead of using a patella tendon graft, you were using a different graft choice, something like a hamstring graft or a quad tendon graft? Well, I want to state up front that is a limitation to this study that it does not go into that specific point. It doesn't say that we took a group of patella tendons and showed that at different degrees of hyperextension, uh, that it didn't matter if we got all of it back. And we took a group of quad tendons and hamstrings and showed that that wasn't the case. So I don't have direct comparison data from this study or from any other ones that I know of that can say that for sure. If you ask me to opine about this though, and just decide what, you know, what do I think is probably the case? Yes, I do think this is specific to patella tendon grafts. I think all soft tissue grafts uh, don't get as good of initial fixation, don't get as good of an, an initial healing as the bone plugs do in bone tunnels when you use a bone patella tendon bone graft. So so 
my my sense is that if you had an all soft tissue graft in these patients with higher degrees of hyperextension, that could lead to an increase in failure rates and an increase in stretching of the graft and less stability, um, which we know is already an issue with soft with soft tissue grafts. And the other thing that we haven't even talked about is anterior lateral ligament reconstruction, which a lot of people are advocating as kind of a secondary procedure to do it at the time of ACL reconstruction if the patient has a larger degree of pivot shift. And I think people also think about this in higher degrees of hyperextension that they may want to add an anterior lateral ligament reconstruction. Uh, it, you know, the, the constraining the knee in that way, in my opinion, is not necessary. And in addition, I, I just don't think that we can justify that there's even a reason to do it based on data like this, that patients with a higher degree of hyperextension uh, don't require a another extra articular or any other kind of additional surgery in order to uh, increase the fixation, decrease any uh, rotational or ext- hyperextension forces on the graft because the, the data isn't there to show, at least with patella tendon grafts in our experience, that there's any higher degree of failure or higher degree of retairs to be able to go after and try to make better in the first place. Now, hearing you talk about lateral procedures always makes me think of revision settings. And I know you love these hypothetical questions, but if this was more the re- <laughs> <laughs> if this study again was conducted more in the revision setting, would you have any issues putting a patella tendon graft in a revision patient with 12 degrees of hyperextension and fearing that they would have any different outcome from a post-operative stability standpoint or retear? The short answer is no, um, but the the longer answer is, you know, like I said before, of course I worry about it just like everybody else does, but the, the, the flip side is what you got to keep in mind in that we have in my opinion, we don't have data at our center, nor have I really seen it at other centers that show me for sure that a higher degree of hyperextension leads to failures and leads to retears in ACL reconstructions done with patella tendon grafts. What we do have is a large body of clinical data from our own center that I know leads to a higher degree of a higher degree of arthritis in the long term, that it leads to short and long term decreased um, functional results after ACL reconstruction if we lose extension. So on one hand, we can debate whether or not we think this putting increased stress on the graft could lead to higher degree of failure rates are stretching out of the graft, but we know over and over and over again that we've shown that any degree of extension loss, even as little as three to five degrees post-surgery, regardless of what the other side is, this is in a side-to-side comparison, anything more than about three degrees of extension loss does lead to problems in the long term. And because of that, it's just too big of a risk, in my opinion, to restrict patients from getting their full extension back for a potential theoretical risk that we don't actually we aren't actually able to demonstrate at the cost of losing extension, increasing the risk of arthritis, and worsening our results. So earlier you mentioned one limitation and that there was really no comparison group as this, these patients were patella tendon graft only. Were there any other limitations of this study that you want to speak to? Yeah, that's definitely one of the main ones is that this is specific to our surgical technique, our anatomic uh, anatomic landmarks that we use, which Dr. Shelbourne has published on pretty extensively, and and our particular graft, the, the bone patella tendon uh, bone graft. Uh, uh, we don't know whether or not this is generalizable to other types of soft tissue grafts or allografts. Um, we know, definitely don't have a comparison in this study to be able to say that. 
The other one is that the, we didn't do any kind of search for any kind of generalized ligament laxity disorders. A lot of times the focus of these discussions about high degrees of hyperextension are really centered around patients who have generalized ligamentous laxity, things like Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, other kind of connected tissue disorders. In reality, I think it's much more likely that we have a patient who does not have these other disorders and just has a higher degree of hyperextension normally than taking anybody who has a high degree of hyperextension and say that they must have some sort of connective tissue disorder. Uh, but that's definitely a limitation of this study that it doesn't specifically address those issues. Excellent. Well, this was great going through the details of this study. Uh, but to wrap up, do you have any final thoughts on this paper that you want the listeners to know? I guess to, to simplify things pretty significantly, I think there's lots of long-term data that shows us that any degree of loss of extension is bad for knees in a lot of different ways, both in the short and the long-term for really all knee conditions, but especially after ACL reconstruction because it can lead to permanent problems. So anytime we're talking about adding any kind of secondary procedures or adding any or changing graphs or changing uh tactics from a rehab perspective to uh, brace and not push people into such a degree of hyperextension if they have uh, a large amount of hyperextension at, at uh, in the normal knee we have to the burden of proof is pretty high to show that those patients have worse outcomes in order to justify doing something that if that can that we know can lead to extension loss and that that's bad for the knee in the long term Again, thanks for going over that study. Uh, I think it was a great study, good design, and, and really has some clinical relevance to it. So I appreciate you going over that. If you want to get a hold of us, you know how to contact us on Twitter and Instagram at the SKC Podcast. You can visit our YouTube or Facebook page or email us at the SKC Podcast at gmail.com. Or with things like Apple Podcasts, if you've liked what you've heard thus far, leave us a five-star review and leave us a comment if you can. And again, we'll talk to you guys next week. Mm-hmm.